What up, Dave? Hey, welcome to church. Uh, I serve as the teacher. Roadmap of where we're going. Uh, let's get after it. Uh, so I want to do the next caring. So I want to kind of go at um, our gatherings such as this one and religious holidays and those sort, sort of things from a biblical perspective of kind of why we do that stuff. Take two weeks to do that. Then, starting in November, we're going to begin Missions Month, and we're going to have an emphasis about what we are doing both locally and internationally uh, to serve the fame of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So we're going to talk about our in Guatemala and things um, and ministries that we support. And so November, we're just going to get really serious about missions and uh, hopefully have some opportunities for people within this church to be sending people or to be a part of God's redemptive work all over the earth. And so, uh, that's kind of the plan. Two weeks here, um, talking about worship, and then four weeks in November, uh, talking about mission, and, and then we'll get into the Christmas grind and do all that. So that's going. So, first off, before we kind of get into the map, uh, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember... Uh, the first time that you ever went to church, right? Do you remember the first time? I find this really helpful uh, because some of you uh, walk into this room and be super uncomfortable because they're singing about the blood of lambs, all right? And so, do you remember? Remember the first time that you, for some of you that, did you come in a carriage or were you on your own horse? Right, like, so, right, so some of you may have been a minute ago. I remember uh, when I first started uh, coming to church, my parents were not believers. So my mom was a bartender. Uh, my dad spent most of my childhood in prison, and so I, I kind of grew up more around the party scene and drugs and those sort of things. So I would experience that on like Friday, Saturday, and then get pawned off on my grandparents, who would drug me to church. All right, drag me. See, I was thinking about drugs, and then I was drugged and then taken to church. It was a spiritual experience. Uh, and so I just dra dragged to church uh, by my grandparents. And here's what I remember. I grew up rather poor, and so I had, like, shoes for the rest of the week from Kmart, right? But when we went to church, I had shiny shoes that hurt my feet, right? Because I was a little kid being taken. I could untuck my shirt the rest of the week, but on Sunday, that baby better be tucked into the jeans. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we would go, in, we would go into this service, this event, as a kid, and there was nothing like it. Now, granted, you know, uh, like some of you in here, I did not grow up in a Baptist church. I grew up, uh, when I did go to church with my grandparents, it was at the Assemblies of God, and it is like 10 times more action-packed than this, all right? I would show up and I would, oh, this is the things that I remember about going to church. I would take the offering envelopes that you guys have in front of the seats. I would open them up and draw inside of them. Anybody? Right? Like, I, I literally cost the church more money in envelopes than I ever gave. 
and I'd just draw during the service. And because it was charismatic and there's people running around, I would army crawl underneath the seats and like move. Like they would, my grandparents would lose track of me underneath. The, now, kids, don't do this today. This is a Baptist church. We will notice. All right? But I would relocate inside the church. And it was just, and if I had to be a thousand percent honest, as a kid coming into church, I didn't fully understand the significance of what church was. I, and I didn't even know what was there. Can we be honest about that? Like, there's times where I wake up and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to go, and I didn't see the importance, the meaning, the sacredness, the seriousness. So, skip forward a little bit, and you know, I, I'm just a total Hellcat. in trouble with the law and, and through the circumstances God just stakes a claim on my heart like I'm spinning off like in sexual morality and drugs and all of this sort of stuff part, but, but God just kind of calls me to himself he stakes a claim on my heart and says you don't belong to them you belong to me and there is something that happened a, a switch flipped inside of me and now all of a sudden Gatherings like this drew me. Like, I, I had an appetite to figure out this book, the Bible, that I did not have before. Not that I didn't know some of it. My grandparents, like, just shoving that Bible up in my brain, okay? But I didn't, it was re, I was resistant to it. But once God got a hold of my heart, it was the words of life. Anybody else? Like, once God got a hold of my heart, there's these strange people in the church that I would never, cultures in me, from different backgrounds in me, filled with the Holy Spirit, I just love being around God's people. Right? And I still had a lot of stuff to work out, and I had a lot of things to figure out, but, but like I was all in. And the church, and the gatherings like this, began to deepen for me, and have a meaning for me, and, and it's become something that um, I'm still on a discovery of to this day. Now, here's the thing, and where I want to get into today. I have, since then, had to fight and battle a slow progression of having a low view of what we do here on Sundays. Like, I just, I think left to my flesh and left to my sin, I just have a tendency to walk into this room with an irreverent, Let's get it done and go attitude. That I can be so satisfying the appetites of my soul throughout the week on the junk food of social media and entertainment that by the time I get into here, the beautiful, nutritious things of God, like my soul's got no appetite for it. And so I want to go after uh, our preparation to come into here. I want to go after our appetite as we enter into the corporate gathering of God's people. Because I think if we looked across church history, I, I don't know that there's another culture that has or could have a lower view of church as we have a low view. Amen? 
And so maybe we can lift that just a bit today as we get in God's word. Uh, before we do, let's go in a moment of prayer and just ask God to help us because none of us in here are smart enough or holy enough to get what God has to say to us today. So would you bow and pray as we enter into the throne? Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, come and teach us what it is to worship. From low expectations of what you do on Sunday mornings and to unbelievable height. God, we come wanting uh, you to do something here. And so, God, we come opening our hearts, saying, God, teach us, show us, guide us, lead us, educate us. Father, I pray. Um, that if there's somebody here that has come and don't know Jesus and they don't know the reason that we do this, God, that get Jesus today. Don't let us miss the cross. Don't let us miss the gospel. Father, help us to see the gospel so that through it we might know right away how to see. Father, um, till the will of our hearts, make it reflect the seed of your word. Enable me um, to speak Give me the ability to utter your truth the way you want to say. God, I pray that humility. Ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Open your Bible to Exodus uh, chapter 19. Again, we our regular habit is to go straight through books of the Bible. Uh, verse by verse, we're in Mark. We're going to take a break for that for a season. We'll come back to it. Um, as you're turning to Exodus 19, Tyrell's going to throw up on the stage or on the screens some verses that I think are going to put in the context. The problem, and I want to talk about the problem um, so that we can kind of talk about uh, the direction we want to go uh, for the solution. All right, so if he's got these uh, coming up, I want to look at them. Um, go to the next one, prepare for worship. Okay, the first one is this verse, and I'm going to talk about this verse for the next few weeks. So I want you to meditate on this throughout the week, I want you to sink your teeth into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says. Guard your steps. Guard your steps. That means watch your step. Be careful where you're walking, how you're doing it. When you go to the house of God, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So there's a foolish way to come into worship that is inappropriate for us. Very simply. For they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. That there's an approach to worship that is evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. So here's how I will put this in our vernacular. Be careful how you run your mouth before God at church. Making a lot of commitments that you have no intention of keeping. When you make one, let the words be few. Don't come rash or hastily into the house of God. Your approach matters. Okay, uh, go to the next one. There's only a few of these, but I, I think it's the context of what the problem is. Amos chapter 5, prophet, and he's talking about the worship of God's people. Notice 
This is not God's people worshiping the wrong God or having some idol or some pagan thing in its place. This is actually them, through what God has commanded, coming to God himself. But the way in which they're coming is bogus. So God responds in Amos chapter 5, I hate, I despise your feasts. Feasts that God had prescribed for them to do. Which, by the way, I love this in the Old Testament. God is the God of the week-long party. Like I prescribe week-long. You think your Thanksgiving is going to be ruckus? God had weeks throughout the year where God's people were to feast and to celebrate and tell stories and just break bread together. And he said, the way in which you do it, it's all about you. It's like, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now, the word for assembly in the Old Testament, in the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament, is the same word we use for church. Assembly is a church. Ecclesia, it's a gathering. I, your, your solemn assemblies, it's like God looks down at their gatherings and he was like, like, I... God looks down at their gatherings and said, I wouldn't attend that. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I think we were spot on when we did our offerings here at the church. It is less about the money and more about your heart. Amen? And if you miss the heart, the money doesn't matter. Come on now. I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of fattened animals. I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your heart. I will not listen. Like Jesus is shutting down the worship team because they come up on stage and it's about them. But this is a correction to them. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He says, what good is it showing up to church, giving offerings and singing songs, if in the rest of your week you do nothing but injustice and evil? Okay, go to the next one. Uh, Just so you know, this isn't exclusive to the Old Testament. This is a continual problem we're going to have here in the Age of Grace in the New Testament. Revelations 3, I've taught this extensively. If you want the teaching on this church in Revelation, you can go online and get the teachings. We did a 7 Churches of Revelation series. But I, I want to point this out as well. One of the indictments that Jesus has against one of his churches is, I know your works. Same exact thing from Amos. You are neither hot or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right? So you don't got to be a Bible scholar to get that imagery. Right? Uh... It's the chewing tobacco verse of the New Testament. For you say, Americans, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in your shame, of your nakedness, which we talked about last week in our sermon over shame, may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, those whom I love, God says, I reprove and I discipline. 
So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anybody heard that verse before? Did you ever realize that that verse is Jesus not talking to lost people, but talking to his church? Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking, trying to get in. It's like, hey, you guys having a fun meeting in there? Jesus is at the door knocking. Uh, I said, if anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is inviting us to a level of intimacy and fellowship with him. That sometimes our religious gatherings aren't capturing. So, here's what this is about. It's about our approach, right? It's about our heart. It's about our expectancy. And here's my fear. My fear is that we have a low view of the assembly of God's people. And I think we have that low view because we have a low view of the word of God, which commissions this gathering, that dictates this gathering, that drives this gathering, that empowers this gathering. And I think it in turn gives us an incredibly low view of the majesty of God. And that's why we just, we don't really sing. At least not with all of our heart. And we don't sacrifice all of us, we just give just enough. And so, Colorado, I want to rescue us from a low view of gathering in the house of God. To where we think that it's more important on a Sunday morning that our kids play sports or pursue extracurricular activities or that we go camping or that we pile more work on a Sunday morning. As though there is no need for Sabbath and to be rejuvenated, realigned, and reconnected to our God. This is an old school kind of thing, isn't it? It's an old school kind of thing. Let me... Let me think about this for a second. Does anybody, you probably had grandparents. Anybody know any like old folk that went to church? Y'all remember old, like the old heads that used to go to church? Does anybody know that maybe their approach to church might be a little bit different than ours today in 2021? Like here's the deal. I can remember my grandparents got ready for church on Saturday night. Not Sunday morning. They started on Saturday night, which makes all the Jewish sense in the world for the Old Testament. The Sabbath was sundown to sundown. So when they began to get ready to go into the house of God on Sunday morning, they began on Saturday night. Right? So what I mean by that was they weren't staying up till 2 a.m. watching Dateline. Right? Like they guarded their schedule and, and like carved out space... To gather with God's people. Here's my thing. I understand this because I try to take a date night every week with my spouse. And the moment that you start to make exclusive time to take a date night with your spouse, everything in the world will try to schedule itself right in the middle of that. You can't just carve it out. You've got to protect it, right? Or the next thing you know, it's like four months later, you had been on a date with your wife. As soon as we start to carve out space, we got to protect it. And so... They carved out space. When they got up on Sunday morning, they began to get into God's word. 
I mean, this is back in the day when you had like Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You had Sunday school before, you had church before church. And they'd be, it was like this runway that they got ready in their approach. How about this? Now, I'm not, I'm obviously not advocating this today, but you had things that were called church clothes. Anybody know what church clothes are? Right? Anybody heard the term Sunday's best? What? You ain't dressing that way the rest of the week. Right? You're dressing a special way to come to church. Now, here's the trend. The trend happened that people used to approach church with this sacred kind of psalm thing that they, they gave their best and they think that probably meant something to a generation. But it became a thing where it was, if we could argue, a lot of externals where people cared more about the clothes that they wore to church than the heart they brought before God. And a lot of people critique that. And so what we moved into through the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, or early uh, 21st century, was people started to do this seeker-friendly, come as you are. Anybody know that? Like you showing up in your sweatpants. Listen, if you're wearing Chacos here, we know you get it. All right? Colorado, worst dressed place like on the earth. Right? We know <laughs> Sunday's best for you is that North Face vest you wear every day. All right? Okay, so I get it. And we wanted to come comfortable. And, and so we, we come in thinking in terms of, you know, like just making people feel welcome and comfortable. And we probably are on that side of the spectrum. But I think what it, or let me say this. So it was all about kind of clothing. Are you wearing your Sunday's best or are you, are you coming as you are? We're one of those cool churches where you can wear Hawaiian t-shirts or whatever. All right. Then the other thing was is uh, music. Do you sing hymns on the piano and open a book? Or has someone got a guitar and drums and we're playing choruses? And there began to be these things called worship wars. Right? Are we singing this or is it, is it this style? Is it that style? What are we doing here? So church, here's my, here's my way into this approach. I think that we've been much more consumed with the outward, whether we're aware of it or not, than the inward. That we think more about getting up and dressing a certain way for church than we get up and we get our heart ready to meet with God's people and meet with God. Listen, by all means, brush your teeth. Fix the stank breath, all right? I know this is radical Colorado. Please wear deodorant, you know? Like, do it. Get ready, all right? You want to wear a suit in here, wear a suit. You know, you want to rock the North Face, you know, your camp gear. You do you, do you, okay? But I think that if that's the focus and not the heart, I think we're going to come in here week after week and get very little from church. I just don't think we're going to get much. Especially when beyond even the cultural trends is that many of the services in our country have ditched true spirit and true worship. Which John chapter 4 says God seeks such worshipers in spirit and truth. They've ditched it for entertainment. Where we got Bible churches named after rivers and lakes and 
villages and all of these sorts of things and non-denon and we, we come at this stuff and we treat church like it's Walmart or McDonald's. Now here's the thing, church is an event, but listen to me, it's not drive-through. Have you figured out that you cannot approach what God has solemnly called this gathering in His Word? You can't treat this like you do a Rascal Flats concert. Like there's something different about what happens here than what happens at a movie or at a drive-through. Have you figured that out yet? Because I, f- I feel that we choose our church based on who's better at entertaining the goats instead of who's more serious about feeding the sheep. So my prayer is that we rediscover this ancient, historical, orthodox word. It's called reverence. We rediscover reverence. That we re-consecrate this Sunday gathering to, to be maybe more than it currently is and more like what the Bible calls it to be. My prayer is that we would be rescued from low views of preaching, low views of prayer, low views of singing, low views of listening, low views of learning, low views of fellowship, a low view of the communion table, a low view of repentance, a low view of the church, and most importantly, our low view of God, His Word, and His majesty in the corporate worship. That we would build expectancy in this house. That when we assemble, it means something. So that gets us to Exodus chapter 19. Longest intro ever. Right? That gets us to Exodus 19, which is itself an assembly. Again, the Greek Old Testament word for church. Judges chapter 20 calls, when we gather corporately like this, different than your individual worship. Or sorry, Judges 20 says it's an assembly of the Lord. This is that gathering. This is His gathering. Second, in Nehemiah, it says that when, the, when God's people assembled in the Old Testament, they assembled as one man. That there's a unity when we're gathered here together. Furthermore, and I think uh, there's a slide of this, Ty, if you got it. Uh, this verse is powerful for the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18 through 19 says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, not all of our gatherings are coming together as a church. I hear there's divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's a whole other mess I don't got time to weigh into. But notice that he's recognizing that there's a specific gathering that they are doing as a church, and it's meaningful. So not everything is that. 1 Corinthians 14.23 says the same thing, that when you come together as the church, there's a unique gathering when we're together. This New Testament gathering that we are doing gets its context and roots in the Old Testament from places like Exodus 19. This frames the seriousness and significance when we gather together in the the Lord's name for His assembly. So let's look at it. And we're going to fly through there. And I just want you to 
I'm not going to break down everything that's in this passage, but I want you to get a taste of this, the gravity of God's people gathering at the foot of Mount Sinai to meet their God. Like, feel the weightiness that they feel and how different it is from kind of our flippant attitude. That, that's my hope and what we're going to end there, okay? Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the, into the wilderness of Sinai. So here's what's happening. Uh, God takes his people on like a 40-year camp trip, right? And kids, if you think your parents have ever taken you, taken you on a hike, the Lord, it's a long, strange trip, Dennis. It's very long. Okay, so they're out in this epic camp trip. Uh, verse 2, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain. The largeness of Mount Sinai and the position was to be um, a parable or an illustration of the mightiness. The mountain was to be a part of the mightiness of God, the grandeur of God, okay, before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, the use and employment of Jacob name and Israel's name is to say that the context for God's relationship to his people is the covenant he made with Jacob and that he made for his people Israel. The context of our relationship to God is covenant. Gospel covenant. Okay? And he says go to them and tell them when I say Moses has the same easy job that I have this morning. My job is not to come up here with my imagination and innovation and to tell you something outside the Bible. Moses' job is simply to tell them what God said. Verse 4. You, man, I love this verse for all kinds of reasons. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to... I brought... I brought you to myself. What Jesus does on the cross, dying for our sins, is to bear us on eagle's wings so that we might have a relationship with God. The purpose of the gospel is that you get God. You are separated from God, but through God's provision and covenant, He brings you to Himself. The idea of eagle's wings on this just makes me think of Lord of the Rings and like Him delivering... Sorry, that's me. I'm broken. All right. I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, listen church, this is who you are, my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is what God tells Moses to tell his people. Here's what he tells him. I'm the God who cursed all of your false gods in Egypt. See, the exodus equals the gospel. You were slaves to sin in Egypt, right? And I came with a mighty outstretched arm where you were in chains and in slavery to your addictions and your sins and your brokenness 
And there, there was no getting out for you. And I, with a mighty outstretched arm, I ripped you out of Egypt. And I elbow dropped all their gods to show the whole earth. I ain't to be trifled with. You ain't going to keep my people in bondage. And so Charlton Heston, you know, God smokes all of the false gods of Egypt. And he takes the people for himself. Right? He delivers them. He saves them. This is Christian language for the gospel. And he takes them to the Red Sea. Right? And you don't have to know the Bible to watch the cartoon and Disney. He splits the Red Sea and brings his people through it. This is a picture of God baptizing his people. Which is going to be taught later in the New Testament. Then he takes them to Mount Sinai where we arrive here. Where he's going to learn something. He's about to educate them in the way of God. Exodus falls in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, or the way of God. He's going to teach them the way. So he delivers them. He baptizes them. Now he's going to disciple them. Then he's going to test them for 40 years in the wilderness. And then he's going to establish them in Israel as his witnesses to all the nations. Because there's missions. He says, so here's the thing. Remember Egypt. That's what he just said in this verse. Remember your Egypt. Christian, remember the addiction you had. Remember the dirt that you had that you couldn't clean yourself. Remember how God on eagle's wings brought you to himself, saved you, cleaned you, delivered you, and made you his treasured possession. Remember that. I don't know what your approach is to church, but at least one approach should be before you walk in these doors, Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself, there ain't no sinners in here that's any bigger sinner than you. Maybe take the log out of your own eye. It's a good approach. Now look, verse 7. And so Moses came and called the elders of the people. Pause. The same thing, Ronnie. Elders are not a New Testament idea. Unpaused and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. You know what Moses just did as a preacher? He was faithful to teach the word. We need more preachers who are faithful to simply tell people what God said. That's verse 7. Verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. This is an anticipation of the baptism of Jesus where Jesus, at his baptism, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't have enough time to dive into all of that context. Uh, my, my Jewish friends, I've lived in Israel a couple times, and they talk about this passage um, they say, why was the Jewish people chosen among all the peoples of the earth to be God's people? And they'll look at a verse like this and says, because God came to all the other peoples of the earth, and, they, and God said, if you'll do my word, you'll be my people. And all the other peoples of the earth said, okay, well, what is your word? And then we'll decide if we want to do what you've asked us to do. And the Jewish people, when God came to them, God said, if you do my word, you'll be my people. And the Jewish people were the only ones that said, okay, before they ever heard what the conditions were. 
I don't know if that's true, but they say that about themselves. Moses, verse 10, and, Mo, there, and the Lord said to Moses, listen to this, go to the people and consecrate them today. Consecrate. Set them apart. Distinguish. Anoint them as different. Don't go about this gathering that we're about to have the same way you go about your normal Tuesday. Consecrate. We're going to do some different things here to highlight, to elevate, to draw attention to. We're going to consecrate the people today and tomorrow. So consecrate today to prepare for tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. This whole anticipation of the gospel and Jesus rising from the dead. On the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain, told the people, and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready the third day. Also do not go near a woman. Just don't focus on any other relationship except your relationship to your creator. So here's the thing. Doesn't it seem a little bit harsh? Like God saying, don't go hike Engineer Mountain until I say. So this is really hard, I think, for us as Americans who think that we can come to God on our own terms. God, in Exodus 19, sets the terms by which you approach Him. God sets the timing. God sets the conditions. God sets the requirements. Every detail by which we would come to Him is orchestrated by God and not negotiable. And matter of fact... The failure to rightly come to God on His terms is death. Christian, does that sound like anything that you're aware of? Like there's not many ways to God, there's one. His way. He sets the terms. Now, you come to me, it's like, why is God determining this stuff. Why is God so harsh about people coming to Him and dying as a failure to obey His Word? Because God will not be played with. Put it another way. God is not like any other relationship you've ever had. Sure, He's like your Father, and He's infinitely more than that, the way the sun is more than a candle. Amen? You don't have another being in your life that is exactly like this being. It's, an, it's a different relationship. And let's play with this word harsh. Harsh. Go out of this room and you automobile and you ignore how that automobile is meant to be used. You ignore all rules of the road and you take 160 towards the Brother, you ain't making it. 
You just say, I'm going to drive in either lane. Whether it's Californians and their electric go-karts or the Texans and their tanks, you're going to die before you get to the end of 160. Right? So unjust, those Priuses, you know, with all their rules about which side of the road we drive on. Now, come on for a minute. How, do you know how many people have died so far this year at the Grand Canyon? 18. And we still got, we still got days to go. Somebody going to come to the edge of the Grand Canyon. All the warning signs that the government could ever afford. Telling you, be careful. Your natural instincts at the Grand Canyon, like we were there, we actually got to go like a couple months ago, and I took one of my kids and I wanted to take a photo at the edge, and my wife was just like freaking out because we were getting close to the edge of this thing. Like, we need counseling after this whole interaction. One, every son in the world says, don't go near, don't play with this. Don't do it. That selfie stick, like all, it'll follow you down. It'll be epic. And then over. Right? 18 people, though, they're just going to play with the edge of the Grand Canyon. Boy, that wicked, evil Grand Canyon just dropping people from the side of itself. How about this? It's like if you have a wood chipper and you put your limbs of your body instead of the limbs of your tree, and then you're surprised that you died. Right? Have you read the instruction manuals on a gas can? And we think as small as those created things are, we can mess around with it. But when it comes to the God who spoke the stars into existence, we can come into his presence flippantly and on our own terms. Man, you're foolish. The beautiful thing about the gospel, I want to end here. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that God provided a way back to himself. And that no other way is accepted. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, God himself came to provide a way back into relationship. Here's what's going to happen with Moses. God says, I'm going to come down that you might come up. I'm going to, listen, it's right here in the text. I'm going to come down that you might come up. And if you're paying attention and you read the rest of the Bible, what you're going to see, the beauty of Jesus is God came down in the person of Jesus that we might come up into heaven, into relationship with him. That's the beauty of it. That he came down and took a cross for all of our sins, that the blood's of bulls and goats could never cleanse so that the sin that separates us from God might be removed that we might be able to come to him that we might be able to know him that we'd hear that knock and that we would answer we might be in the presence of the glory of God God sent his word 
Listen to this. God sent his word to consecrate us. That we might be holy. That we might be a priesthood. That we might be a kingdom. That we might be his treasured possession. Church, God sent Jesus to come down that we might come up in order to worship him. And so we don't do that lightly. Let me pray for you.
Let's sing together. Let's sing together.